0: So you've you've probably gathered that we want to talk a bit this morning about fullness. And um, fullness is is an interesting uh, thing to look at. Uh, I remember a long time ago um, when I was a kid uh, and there was a lot of talk about um, weight training and bodybuilding and one of the things that Uh, was talked about was that uh, people who did this were better off staying hungry, that actually the fuller they got, the slower they became, and actually fullness wasn't a good thing. And I think, you know, I I get that, I get that, that the the concept of um, filling yourself to the point where you can't move with whatever it is that you like to indulge yourself with it's not exactly a healthy way to live. Let's be honest, it's not an unusual way to live, but it's not a healthy way to live. However, that's, that's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this, which is the fullness of God in, in Christ, the fullness of God in Jesus, and, and what we can have that is different from what anybody else offers. And and this is fantastic. This is like, this passage tells us the complete plan. And what happens with this complete plan was that it was amazing to the people of the day. It, it, It shocked them. So people like Paul had no preparation in his life that suddenly God was going to reveal the salvation of the whole earth. And that special wasn't about what you had or where you were born, but about who you were in relationship with. And being in relationship with Jesus was, was what made the difference. So Jesus was amazed, uh, sorry, Paul was amazed at this, and yet that offer is not something that everybody is able to accept. So it becomes an offer, but people don't always accept it. Some don't accept truly because they cannot believe actually that God can forgive them. And I want to tell you, I meet a lot of people like this who actually are prepared to accept that there is a means for forgiveness, but it can't possibly apply to them because they know what they're like. Well, I love that. I mean, I'm sad that people shy away, but I really like that honesty because, to be honest, I know what I'm like. And it is a surprise to me that God in Jesus has the capacity to forgive that. So, I I like that honesty, but it's sad that people can't. Some people cannot accept uh, that God can forgive others. So, We have a hierarchy of good and bad people, and at some point, a bit like the open, I don't know if you like golf, I'm Scottish, so I do like golf. Uh, But after two rounds of a four-round competition, there's what they call the cut. And if you haven't scored a good enough score after two rounds, you get sent home. And only those who've scored a better score get to carry on. Well, there's a view by many people that there's a sort of cut. And anybody who's badder than this really oughtn't to be forgiven, and if God does any forgiving then He's mistaken, uh, and, and, and rightly so. What I've always discovered though is that this cut is somehow with a behavior level below the person who's proposing that there should be a cut, <laughs> uh, which is quite interesting really, and, um, and often doesn't involve people other than those that they are extremely angry with. And it's, it's a very selective way to be. But it's not a biblical way. It's not a biblical way. There are those who cannot accept God's personal plan and His perfect plan, His amazing plan, because they just do not accept that they need forgiveness at all. Now, I know I'm going to surprise you, but to be honest, I understand this I understand this. If I lived without any knowledge of God, I I think that I would think this, because I would look around and I would see pretty well everybody doing what they like, some real dishonest uh, uh, concepts being sent. So a lot of young people, for example, they, they are told about consequences, but they're not. So young people are told about consequences and, and I meet young people and their genuine perception of life is this. One action equals one consequence. And of course this is a complete myth. In the same way as one purchase addresses one area of life. This is a complete myth. Of course that isn't what happens. Any decision that we make has implications upon implications upon implications. And I don't know how many people in the world have found themselves getting into trouble thinking that they're making the right decision and actually finding that they had not thought through all the consequences before they got to the end. And of course there are those in the world who like the idea of you not knowing those consequences so that they can mis-sell you all sorts of products. Uh, so that you believe you're getting one thing and actually discover another. We, we know this. So therefore, for me, I think, well, that's how it all turns around. Everybody's much the same. That's what you do. Um, if I didn't know that there was more to life than this life, I think I would personally be quite tempted into that sort of, well, you know, you just get away with as much as you possibly can and see what happens. I don't know. A bit like the Colombian football team, I think, in that sense. Uh, And, and, you know, uh, how far do you get? Quite a long way in, in some places. But there you are. But that's not the thing. The reality is that it's the good news for all. It's good news that we can be changed and that we no longer have that need to be forgiven, but that we can grow in all of this. And that's fantastic, but more than this, and this is what Paul says, that those who are forgiven are brought into a family, brought into a family, and and God gives His name to that family, which is fantastic. And Paul prays that we will really grasp that. So I want to talk a little bit just about grasping that, about what that fullness actually means. So here's the first thing, fullness means complete. So the gospel is complete. This is the complete gospel. We are forgiven of our sins through Jesus and we can confidently enter the presence of God that we are being built up together as church. And God's plan is that we spread the good news of complete reconciliation with God in Jesus for everyone who comes to Him. That's the complete gospel. It excludes no one. But it is for everyone. But it is for everyone together. It's complete. The gospel is complete. That's it. That's what we need. That's enough. Now one of the troubles when people think that things are incomplete what do you do if you think that something's incomplete you add to it yes absolutely if you think that something's incomplete you add to it 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 it's it's got to be added to it it's not the full picture and we and we get this in lots of ways so the gospel is not complete I need to add things. They can be all sorts of things, so they can be all sorts of uh, extra religious things. So I need to have symbols and rituals. I need to have extra things to look at and pray to. Uh, I need to do all of that. And essentially, um, to be honest, that's really where religion comes from. Religion comes from. Uh, creating things uh, that provide a series of behaviors that are required. And the gospel hasn't got that. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be all that sort of imagery anymore. It can be behavior. I have to behave in this way and that way and this way and that way. I have to achieve these things, do these things, and then. And there's a lot of world religions that are about earning. They're about doing and earning. But the gospel of Jesus is not that. In fact, the deal that God had with the children of Israel was this. I don't want you to obey me because I'm grumpy at you because you don't disobey, disobey. I want you to obey me because you love me. I want you to do because you like me. I want you to be in my presence because you want to be in my presence. So, really, it works the same way. The gospel is there and is free to ev- for everyone. We change our behavior because we love Jesus, not because somehow that is going to save us. But that's a, ch- that's a challenging thing for a lot of people. We used to, when, when we led Cornerstone Church in, in Much Wenlock, we quite often went out and, and in the Corn Exchange in Much Wenlock, we would just give tea and coffee and cakes to people just generally because they were shopping, and frankly, that's a miserable activity. So um, uh, that's clearly a perspective of mine. Uh, And 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 people used to do their in; They couldn't cope. One guy, right, we gave him a cup of tea and coffee, and he was really grateful because he clearly was under it. He'd he'd start still with nothing to think about in I don't know how many dress shops by the time it got to half past eleven. And, and you know, and his life was beginning to lose all meaning, and we gave him a cup of coffee and a cake and, and cheered him up, and he said, that's fantastic, thank you so much, how much is that? We said, no, no, no. It's, it's on us, just let us bless you. Are well, you sure? you sure? Yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, off you go. And he kind of got troubled by this, and off he went. And about five minutes later, and we're tied up with other people he ran up the stairs of the car, slapped a fiver on and ran back down again because he just couldn't cope with the concept you know, that he could, he could have it but that's enough it's complete and if we somehow don't feel that our relationship with God is actually complete it is because we are not believing the whole gospel and we need to do that Okay, we we'll are moving on quick because I don't want to labor any of this too much. The second thing about being full is that we are replete, which literally means full. We're replete, okay? Jesus said to, to the woman at the well that if He gives you water, you'll never thirst again. He said to those that if they ate of His body. That that would give them all the nourishment that they need. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus also taught that hunger is a good thing. But the question is, what are we hungry for? Are we hungry for righteousness? Are we hungry for good things? Are we hungry for those? And and I think there is the thing. Jesus said this. Jesus said this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish my food. Yeah, to finish his work. He said that John John 4:34, if you want to look it up. Now that's interesting. Because again, often we have a diet of Jesus plus, And it's whatever it happens to be. One of things I've increasingly discovered about the Western evangelical tradition is it goes like this. It has a lot of duty in it. So we kind of do the work that we need to do because we have to do that. And we we do all our family duties because we have to do them. And if we're Christians, then we do all our Christian duties and we kind of get them out the way. And when all of that's out the way, then I can have fun. (laughs) Then I can have fun. And it's almost like it's a a four-course meal and everybody's looking forward to the pudding. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, But that's actually not what we're called to do. That says we're not replete, that says we're not full of Jesus. If we're full of Jesus, we don't actually want anything else. In fact, you know what it's like, you've had something fantastic to eat, somebody offers you something else and you think, no, that'll spoil it. I just want to enjoy what I've had. Does that ever happen to you? I don't know. Um, I, I like my food. But the trouble is, as we were talking with with a lot of things like the smarty packets, that things are dressed up to make us believe that they will somehow give us more. And they will make us feel better. And we will lean on them. And this has been going on, I think, forever, really, hasn't it? One of the things, but it, it doesn't. Most of the things that we receive that are not from Jesus. Simply make us want them again, and again, and again, and again. The, the best one of these, and I know you're going to say, oh yeah, Graham, you're going to say alcohol, you're going to say drugs, you're to can I tell you the best one of these, sugar. Processed sugar is the best one ever. If you eat processed sugar in your food, and let's face it, who doesn't, naturally over a period of time, your body craves sugar and crave sugar, and crave sugar, and so on. But the sugar is not giving you any nourishment at all. It's creating a good living for dentists, it's doing very well. For all sorts of people um, around, sadly, and I know this because I used to work on the banks of the Demerara River, it doesn't necessarily do much good for the people who produce sugar. Uh, They just get ripped off because they live in third world countries, uh, and please read your packaging. Um, But the sugar in the modern world, that's what it does. We eat sugar, we think that was lovely, but actually what we're doing is we're storing up a craving for something that does us no good. Well, fullness in Christ says this, we're replete. We don't need other things. However, the challenge for the Christian is if we really want to have fullness, we have to adjust our diet. And if we keep filling ourselves up with things that will simply make us crave more, and there are lots of people out there who are very good at helping us to crave more. Marketing people, so you know, whatever you have, as soon as somebody manages to get under your skin with a comparison to what you could have had, suddenly what you're craving is a bit more or a bit different. Or I know it works fine, but I want a new one. Or I've had a long day. And I could pray, but frankly, that's course number three, the God bit, and I've finished that, and and I'm into my my bit, so uh, I'm I'm starting to resort to the other things that make me feel a bit better, Uh, even though they don't last, and then I want them again and again and again. And this is one of the challenges, I think, for the Christian church, is that, that we need to have, Jesus needs to be enough for us. And maybe that's a challenge. Maybe we need to change our diet. Last one. John Smith was looking at this. You see, this is a Baptist church, and mostly you're supposed to do sermons where each point starts with the same letter. Uh, But I'm not obviously a real Baptist, uh, so I've actually had it ending with, with the same three letters instead. So fullness means complete. Fullness means replete. So, the gospel is the complete gospel, okay? The Spirit of God should make us replete or full, but we train to be elite. Now, I don't mean elite in the sense that we're better than other people. I, I always like the joke that somewhere, somewhere my dad is looking down on us all. It's not because he's dead, it's just he thinks he's better than all of us. Uh, and I, I've always liked that joke. Um, I, <laughs> I wonder why. But anyway, there we go. So, but, but that's not what I'm saying. What I, I'm more thinking along the lines, if you think about elite athletes, elite athletes strive for excellence. They are driven by the idea of excellence, and they are prepared to do what it takes to get it. One of the things I quite often um, mull over, and I do talk to people about it, because it has affected me. I'm a football fan, uh, and, and I like football. And one of the things about football is that you, you get certain players that you really admire for their skill and their genius, and, and, and I'm like that. And I, I was fortunate enough uh, to see George Best play. Uh, he spent a very short time playing for Hibs, uh, uh, which was my team when I was a child in Edinburgh. i seen other players. is amazing. But here's the thing I've always thought about for British footballers, the really great ones, is how much better would they have been without beer? I'm serious. How much better? Because football for years had a beer culture. And there are some of the players that I really admire. And I am always left with the impression that they would have had wider, greater careers, but for the fact that there was a culture which which actually got in the way of them being elite athletes. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure there are other, other sports and other things, but it was one of those things that I just sort of thought, what a shame, and I still think it. But it's there. There's the thing. If you're an elite athlete, you are prepared to train the right way. You are prepared to eat the right diet. You are prepared to learn what you need to learn. You know, one of the things that coaches teach us, I, I don't know if you watch Wimbledon. Do you watch Wimbledon? I was watching Wimbledon I was listening to a coach uh, and he was talking about something and he was saying that some of the young players have the talent but don't come through because you can't teach them. Because you can't teach them. They have an unteachable attitude. But an elite athlete is prepared to swallow their pride and learn. Even if they are grumbly about it, they're prepared to do this because they want to be the best. And this is one of the key things about being elite, and an elite athlete perseveres even when it's hard. I was listening, um, and I don't usually do this, but I was listening to radio this uh, this week, and somebody whose sister is playing, uh, somebody uh, somebody who has a sister in broadcasting is playing in the open, and she was sending her motivational texts every every day. And they asked her what today's was, and she said this. She said. A champion is a contender who doesn't give up. And one of the things about elite athletes is that they persevere. They do not give up. Even when it's tough and even when it's hard. Uh, And sometimes you see that. Sometimes that's because of injury, an accident, no fault of your own. Sometimes it's because of your own choices and things have gone badly. It's fantastic. I have to say personally. I'm enjoying seeing Tiger Woods back in the open doing well. And he's had a rough ride, and and he makes no secret of the fact that a lot of that has been his doing. Uh, I I admire him for his honesty, um, but it's good that, you know, that you can come back if you don't give up. Well, fullness comes from an elite lifestyle but I want to tell you one other thing that is about the elite and this is again not better elite but of a higher standard required and that is it that we are not called to live in isolation Jesus said this I will build my church do you remember that phrase I will build my church I want you I to just do a personal walk for me, the last three or four months I've been really challenged by all of this that for, you know, since Second World War, I was saying to Jean this morning, Second World War, we have had a big diet of individual personal walk with Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, one of the great things about the Reformation was that, you know, we have a personal relationship with Jesus. You and I individually, we must go with our lives and give them to Jesus. But this is not at the exclusion of living together in community. And, in fact, I was was speaking at another church a couple of weeks ago, and I was pointing out this, that I've come to the conclusion that for us to understand the mind of Christ, we have to be in fellowship one with another. That it is not, in fact, that you discern the mind of Christ and I discern the mind of Christ. I find a small cupboard where I sit on my own. I know Jesus suggests this for some of our prayer time, don't get me wrong. And, And that's it. And I don't need you, and you don't need me. Well, what I'm suggesting to you this is it's not that we just need each other for encouragement and building up. What I'm saying is our actual spiritual growth is dependent one on another. Here's, here's a question. Jesus said, I will build my church. Why would Jesus build His church if He doesn't think that people ought to be coming to it? Why would He do that? What would that be for? So I will build my church and it will be tokenistic, occasional. This is not the deal, that the spiritual fullness that each of us craves is not gained in isolation. We need each other for our personal walk. I know this sounds strange, it's almost counterintuitive. I need you for my spiritual walk, and you need others. Because I'm not saying we're it. The body of Christ is all believers worldwide. Yeah, we, we are not it. I mean, so in that sense, elite. We are not elite that way at all. The body of Christ is all believers. But if we are not in fellowship with other believers, then actually we lack a spiritual element in our own personal walk is what I'm saying. And Paul says this in this passage that God's plan is that He will do all of this through His church. Now, that's quite a challenge, and I know I'm being a bit controversial here because that hasn't been the individual salvation teaching of the last 40 or 50 years in the Evangelical tradition, but I feel that Scripture is saying this clearly, and we have an obligation not just to be in fellowship one with another here, but we do, but in fellowship one with another across our town and in fellowship, one with another, with our brothers and sisters across the world because our spiritual health depends upon it. Uh, And I know, so I'm saying, so therefore, as a body, we become a people set apart, which is what holiness is, set apart, sanctified, set apart for a purpose. That's an elite way of living. That doesn't mean better than others higher standard. We pursue this. Fullness in Christ. Do you like the idea of being spiritually full and not needing any more? Do you like that idea? Okay, so here are the things that do it, and it's straightforward. We rest on the gospel of Jesus. We feed ourselves on good spiritual food and don't add things which don't satisfy to our diet. And we press on toward the goal in fellowship with others. That's where spiritual fullness comes from. The smarty tube isn't filled by one smarty because it's the wrong shape. No, because because it's together and it's the same. God will bring His plan into complete ending. And this is what Paul says. Paul says God will bring His complete plan into fulfillment. And this is how he says it, that the nation of Israel will be restored at the end times after, if you remember your scripture, after the full measure of the Gentiles me, maybe not you, but me, the full measure of the Gentiles has been gathered in. Gathered into what? Gathered into His church. So this is where it is. We need to be in healthy fellowship. I'm not telling you, you have to be in healthy fellowship here, but you have to be in healthy fellowship. That's what I'm saying. And we're an option, and and we're nice, so, you know, don't, don't be put off. But what I'm saying is, Jesus is building His church. He's building His church so that His believers are in it. That's what I'm saying. Okay, I've labored that too far, so there we go. So, fullness of Christ is the complete gospel, the replete spirit and the elite lifestyle. And John still hasn't come up with what that sort of alliteration actually means, but we're all clear, it's not Baptist, so I apologize. Okay, and what's the revelation then for your journey? What do you need to do? Do you need to let go of other things that are enabling you or making you think you have to earn? Are you still trying to prove to yourself that God loves you or wants you or has forgiven you? Are you still trying to earn that? Are you still trying to uh, find a way in which it's a gospel plus? You need to let go of that. His gospel is complete and move on in freedom in Christ. Are you using other things to supplement Jesus, to build up your life that somehow Jesus ain't enough? There is no fullness in that. You'll just just crave more. Need to come and change that and start feeding on Jesus more. Are you committed to that elite athlete lifestyle where you're eating the right things, doing the right things? Learning, being prepared to learn that it becomes your whole lifestyle rather than just a little bit of leisure sport at the end of the week or the end of the day. Are you prepared to what what needs to change for that to happen? Do you need to be in more fellowship with more people? Do you just need to be in fellowship with one or two? Because I'm not putting numbers on this, but do but we, we are full because of our fellowship. Enough of that. If you feel you'd like prayer today, if you'd like to deal with something, if you'd like to move on, there are people here who pray with you, I'm happy to pray with you. But we want to press on towards fullness in Jesus, and let me encourage you that that is a good thing to aim for, His gospel is complete, and you too can be full in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that none of your plans have any flaws, that none of your purposes are going to be uh, overlooked, that nothing which you are setting out to accomplish will be left unfulfilled, that your plan is complete, That that there is nothing missing. Lord help us to enter into your fullness, really enter into your fullness and understand that you are calling us to a higher calling so that we too might be a blessing to others. Lord, we know, we, we know, and we reject any thinking that any Christian is any better than anybody else. We know there are no hierarchies in the kingdom of God. But we know that you call us with everyone else onto better things. Help us, Lord, to be hungry for them. Just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.